So tonight, uh, we're going to begin, we're going to look at the Revelation chapter 2, but before we begin there, I need to, uh, I need to back up and I need to uh, kind of correct something that I said last week because found out that I found out that I was wrong. And I've been wrong for 20 years, which is, uh, when you think about that, if you, when you've been teaching something for 20 years and then you find out that, some, that, that what you've been teaching is wrong, um, you, you, you kind of scratch your head sometimes and you're thinking, how in the world was I so foolish? And I will explain uh, what happened here in a few moments. But it deals with this verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this is where I was wrong. So I said, and in the original, uh, Paul says, you know, don't get drunk on wine, but literally be drunk with the Spirit. That is completely false. Literally, it says, do not get drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. This like our English translations say. Um, and so, so yes, what I was said was wrong, but the meaning of this verse is still the same of what I said. It's the understanding of control. When you're drunk with wine or alcohol, you, you lose control. You, the, you, you, don't, you don't really know what's happening. Uh, it's that the, sometimes people, depending on uh, their personality, sometimes they can become angry. Sometimes they, all of a sudden, then they wake up and like uh, the next morning and they have this huge migraine and they have no recollection of what happened the night before. Where Paul then goes on and uses that imagery and says, don't be drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit, understanding the same, it's the same understanding, be controlled. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. And, and so what happened was this. 20 years ago, so this is 2004, so it be around, yeah, this is 2024. 20 years ago, 2004, uh, I was a bit, I was a, a senior in at Tacoma Falls College and 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 I heard a sermon to the best of my recollection I heard a sermon and a pastor said this in their sermon you know the the Paul is saying don't be drunk with wine uh, literally uh, the field part that our English translations it says drunk with the uh, be drunk with the Holy Spirit I took him at his I took him at his word I never ever studied that verse and this is an important lesson i guess for all of us is this do your own homework because if i because someone what happened is someone texted me and said hey i think uh, that's not right i pulled out again for the past 20 years i've been saying that you would think that i would have pulled out my my tools to be able to, to see if that's correct and when i pulled it out Within two, within two seconds, I was like, well, yeah, that's not right. And then, I was like, then I turned to Marguerite and I said, I've been teaching that for 20 years and I can't believe that, I've, that that's wrong. And I never took uh, a minute to do that, to double check. So I apologize for that. But again, the, the meaning is still the same. What that verse means is still the same. Paul says, don't be controlled by anything else, but be controlled by God's Spirit in your life. 
And that's what that understanding of when you're to be filled, to be filled with something um, is to be controlled. And so uh, just some, uh, I guess, some learn from my mistake of do your own study, do your own homework, and uh, double check what, even what I say. Uh, and, and I don't, like I said, I love it when people come to me and, and ask me questions and, and, and happened one other time. You know, I was, I was preaching through the, the life of Abraham in Genesis and we were going through uh, the time of Lot in uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm hammering on Lot and saying, you know, Lot was, uh, he, he was just as uh, wicked and sinful as the, the descendants there in Sodom. And, and so forth. And all of a sudden I get this email uh, during the week and said, do you realize the New Testament calls, Saul, uh, calls Lot righteous? And I said, what are you talking about? And he showed me the verse and I said, oh, that's interesting. A verse in, I think it's in uh, either 1 Peter or 2 Peter where it talks about the righteous Lot is righteous. And so the next Sunday, guess what the sermon was about? Righteous Lot. <laughs> because uh, and, and I pretty much said the same thing you know I've been hammering and so much how right, how unrighteous Lot was thank you for showing me that according to the New Testament Lot was righteous in some extent and in, in what the meaning there and so I was able to correct that uh, yeah I I love it when people do that so I know that they're paying attention and asking questions and and I'm learning every time I teach through every time I teach through uh, a book or or teach through a passage of scripture scripture uh, I mean I'm, I'm learning I'm a, I'm a that constant learner I don't think that I know it all so so I'll have to say correct that uh, in your mental capacity if you can erase that what I said last week fantastic so but Revelation. So we're into the seven churches of Revelation, and you kind of see uh, those uh, there, and it's it's a call, it's a loop. So if you see the loop in the down here, the seven churches are these these ones up here, kind of go around, and that's the, what's called a circular loop. It starts in or a circular road trade route. It starts in Ephesus and then goes up to Spurna, Pergamum. Thyatira, Cyrus, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and back uh, to Ephesus. That was the trade route. And so as we start talking about these seven churches in Re Revelation chapter 2, we, we start right at the beginning with, with Ephesus because that was the way uh, the trade route would go. That was the way this letter would have been distributed uh, to the, these seven churches there in Asia Minor. And you had this, uh, we looked at this last week with the, the church to Ephesus. And does anybody remember, without looking at your notes that I just gave you, does anybody remember what the criticism that Jesus had against the church there in Ephesus? They lost their first love. What they were doing was they were doing all the right things. They were doing exactly what, you know, one of the things that we talked about last week is testing. Testing to make sure everything is according to God's standard. And they were doing that. They were having these false teachers come in. They were testing to make sure that what they were teaching was true. And they were showing that they were not true and so forth. And so, but they, they did everything they were supposed to, but they forgot the reason why they were supposed to do it, which was because of their love for God. 
It just became like an academic, if you want to say, an ac academic thing for them to do. Of be like, hey, we got to make sure we're testing this, but we don't. We forgot the reason why they lost their first. They lost their love for God, and so God comes. Jesus comes into them and says, "Listen, this is what I want to do. I want you to repent. I want you to do the things that you did first when you first came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You you were excited, and and you you and again when I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was five years old. But as I grew as a child and as a youth." I mean, I read God's word. I spent time in God's word. I I spent time in prayer, and then and then so many times as you grow up, and the longer you serve Christ, those things you kind of go off the wayside because it just life happens. And Jesus says, "Come back to those things. Remind yourself of who you were before Christ, and what how Christ has rescued you from that." And so that's uh, kind of the first one. And then the, so the second city, according to, we started there in Ephesus, is today we're going to look at the town of Smyrna. Now Smyrna was an important city. Just like Ephesus, this is an a artist's rendition of what, a first, what the first century uh, city of Smyrna would look like. It's right there on the, the coast still. Uh, it was seen as it was just about 30, 35 miles north of Ephesus on the road. So within about a, about a two-day journey because they walked anywhere between uh, 15 to 20 miles a day when they were traveling on a journey uh, so forth. So you could get the, from Ephesus to Smyrna, it's about a two-day journey. Ephesus was seen as the first city that was in that area. It was an old city. To test your, uh, I guess, world history here a little bit. There was a famous general whose name was Alexander the Great. the Great. He came through this area and he actually rebuilt his two general successors, rebuilt the city after it had been destroyed. He then. The, this uh, city was so loyal to the Roman Empire that there was a temple for the Caesar of, of named Tiberius was built around 26 AD. So this, this city was so important to the Roman Empire. It was seen as, as you know, Ephesus was the, the dominant trade city in the area because of being on the port. Smyrna was seen as that loyal city, that first city, that important city, that that was where it was. It was also a, a second important trade city because of it being also on, on the coast. You still can go today, if you go over to Turkey, you, you can walk and here are some first century ruins that you can walk through a leftover from Smyrna. The other interesting thing is, is is it is an active city even to this day so you can walk along these roads and that's what uh, down below is all the first century ruins but then up on the hill what do you see skyscrapers houses in fact the modern day city looks like this the other interesting thing that happens is smyrna is still right on the coast ephesus first century was on the coast but because of the buildup of silt and sand, the coastline has actually moved. And so now if you go to the city of Ephesus and you walk around the city of Ephesus, it's actually away from the coastline. It's no longer by, by the, the sea there. So 
so Smyrna actually is today actually is a very important trade city there in in the modern day country of Turkey. And so you have that kind of the background that these these the city that the these these believers are in. And so let me read for us Revelation chapter two verses eight through eleven, and then we will kind of follow the same I'm going to say outline uh, from last week of as we go through this of the different sections that we have of this letter. But it says to the angel of the city of the to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this: These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and lives. I know your afflictions and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and will, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious or the one who overcomes will, will never be hurt by the second death. And so each of these letters to the seven churches that we saw last week is kind of has this kind of a similar basic uh, outline. There is a little bit that happens uh, here um, with with the letter to Smyrna because it's not so much a, a like last one with the Ephesus uh, Jesus says you know uh, like criticizes the church well this you don't really hear Jesus criticizing the church for anything uh, this is uh, we'll see that when we get there but the first thing we see is a greeting and so where's the greeting what verse is the greeting in verse 8 to the angel of the church in Smyrna the angel or messenger depending on how you take that uh, the believers there in Smyrna. This is what I want you to write. So the second one is a title. So what title does do we find here in this letter of Jesus from chapter one? The first and the last. That's the first one. The the one who died and who is alive. So the first and the last. Does anybody remember what that means? That Jesus is the first and the last, or how else does Revelation say? I'm the first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega. Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet, and so Jesus is saying the same thing. I'm the first and the last. So, what does that mean? What does that title mean to, to, when you refer to Jesus as the first and the last? He was before creation and after. Smyrna thinks they're the first, right? We're the first city. We're the important city. And Jesus says, I'm more important than you. Before you even existed, I was there. So the first and the last, the one who died and who lives, that's the second title of Jesus, referring to, again, his, his death and resurrection. And again, what the, the gospel of Jesus is all about. Uh, what Jesus did. To do that reminder. And so that's the title. And again, every single one of these letters, as we saw last week, every single one of these letters is referring back to something that happens in the vision of Jesus in, in Revelation chapter 1. 
Again, that's not that the vision is not to uh, for us to be like, oh, that's what Jesus looks like. Let's paint paint a picture because you get a goofy picture as we were talking earlier. I mean, you have Jesus's feet would be as hot as bronze. Jesus, there would be a, a sword coming out of Jesus's mouth. Those are all symbolic meanings of things that happening, and so that's why these letters are constantly referring back to that because Jesus is saying, this is who I am in your situation that you are you find yourself in and so then we go to the third section the i know and so as you look at this letter to jesus of oh, sorry letter to the smyrna from jesus what does jesus tell them that that he knows your afflictions and your poverty first one is affliction that word affliction means tribulation your struggles your the hard times that you're going through, the persecutions that you are facing. That's one of the things that we will see, and especially when we, we will get to into later on in the book of Revelation, we'll, we, we will actually do kind of a, a word study on that word tribulation because a lot of people think, oh, this is the, the last seven years before Jesus returns. What are those seven years called? The Great Tribulation. And you realize when you do a word study on that word tribulation, you realize that, that yes, that's the Great Tribulation, but how this word is used all throughout the New Testament, believers are in constant tribulation, in constant affliction, in constant suffering. Especially when it comes to with, with Smyrna is... Uh, with that persecution and so he says i know your tribulation i know your what your poverty what happens so many times even nowadays if if you think of countries that where believers are persecuted one of the things that happens so many times is they lose their jobs they get kicked out of their home their families disown them especially if they're women in a lot of these countries, that is a death sentence of if, if you're a woman and you and your family disowns you and kicks you out, you cannot make a living off of that. And so there's organizations that come in like Voice of the Martyrs that come in and, and help these women to be able to survive because of their faith in Jesus Christ. First century is the same way as we'll see here in a few moments, is that this church in Smyrna is, is because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they're being persecuted. And they are having, and they're facing hardships, and they're facing tribulation, and, and they're, they have experiencing poverty. They're poor. But Jesus tells them after the end, He says, I know your affliction, I know your poverty, but what? But you're rich. Why are they rich? Why can Jesus say that they're rich? If someone looks up, could look up Matthew chapter five, if you want to, everybody, if you want to turn there, you can turn there too. But Matthew chapter five, verses eleven through twelve. If someone could read that, Matthew chapter five, verses eleven through twelve. This is what we call the Beatitudes, where Jesus is there with uh, his with the Sermon on the Mount, and he is saying, oh, blessed is, is this person, blessed is this person. At the very end, he says, 
Blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you. Uh, because of whom? Because of Jesus. me. Because of Jesus. In other words, he's not saying, well, well, you're blessed just when people make fun of you just for no good reason because maybe you talk a little funny. or No, it's because of your relationship with me that when people make fun of you, you're going to be blessed. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward will be great where? In heaven. And sometimes we, we, it's, it's, interested, it's interesting when you think about this is uh, in, in America, uh, we think, oh man, we're going to, like our rewards we're going to get in heaven is going to be fantastic. But you realize the richest people in heaven are going to be those believers in like Iran and in China and, and in these countries where North Korea, where it's illegal to be a Christian, they will be, they will have their reward greater than any of us in heaven. Because that's what Jesus says here. If you're persecuted because of me, you're rich in heaven that so many times we think and, and, and again our american mindset is oh we're going to get these rewards and riches so we're going to have this uh, uh gold and like the biggest mansion uh and so forth uh that that's that's going to be like again we're going to be as totally different uh, god's economy is totally different than our economy and so it is but those are the ones i was listening to um Every week I listen to the Voice of the Martyr radio podcast uh, where they interview people and talk about the, the persecuted church around the world. And they were talking about this, uh, how China right now is five, ten years ago, ago the house churches in China were able to um, gather with some freedom. Um, there was still some persecution, but as long as you didn't... Uh, at least what this guy was saying, as long as you didn't uh, make too much of a splash, they kind of let you go. But uh, now since past uh, COVID, like it's totally different where they're coming hard down on the uh, believers there in China. And, um, and the one guy was talking to a pastor, a young pastor, and he was saying, uh, and he was saying, no, do you have an exit plan? Do you have like, do you under, do, do you have making sure that you don't keep stuff at home that because the police show up and search your home, you don't want other people that are in your house church to be arrested either. And then the mentality there is, he said, the pastor told him this, he said, um, we read our Bible a lot, we, we pray a lot, and we expect to be persecuted a lot. That's the mentality of the Chinese Christian. And just the understanding, and we'll talk about this especially towards the end of this, is in America, that's not our mindset. It's totally different because we don't like dealing with pain and we don't like dealing with suffering. But Jesus says, listen, I know what you're going through. I know your pain. I know your tribulation. I know what you're enduring. I know you are suffering, that you are poor because of me. But in reality, you're rich. And then there's a third one that Jesus says, I know. The things, the slander against them. You look at um, right after Jesus says, uh, you are rich. And then it says, I, the, the NIV will add, I know about the slander of those. Uh, though that's one big run on sentence. Literally it says this, I know your affliction and your poverty. 
and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. And so what was happening in, in the Roman Empire during this time was this. Rome was all about keeping the peace and making sure the, this, this, uh, uh, that, that the, the Roman Empire was peaceful. And as long as you didn't make too much waves, and as long as you did what Rome said, they were okay with that. And there were these world religions that we know of that, that you know, Rome said, you know, these are, these are the acceptable religions that, that you can worship. And of course, they had their, their the Roman gods and, and like Zeus and, and so forth. But, but as long as you also then added Caesar and worshiped Caesar, you were okay. And so one of the religions that Rome said was, was okay was the Jewish religion. And so when the believers in Jesus, so at the time of Jesus and the, and the, and the apostles, um, the Rome originally thought, well, this is just the Jewish sect because most of the people that came out of, uh, that followed Jesus are Jewish. And then about Nero time was when things started to change because the Jewish teachers of the law said, listen, these Christians are not Jewish. And because Christians refused to worship Caesar because they said there's only one God, which is whom? The one true God. The Creator God. Jesus. That's who all we're going to worship. So then all of a sudden, Rome was like, oh, okay. Well, then we need to come after you. And then not only did they come, the Romans come after them, but then you had like in Smyrna where you had a huge Jewish population living, you have this, this, the, the Jews also coming after them to distance themselves from the, the Christians and saying, listen, we're not part of them. So don't so just leave us alone. And that's what's happening here is you have the Jewish people in Smyrna slandering or blaspheming or saying these, these the not so right things against the Christians there in Smyrna. And then Jesus goes on and says, who say they are Jews, but they're not Jews. Because in the New Testament time, again, Jesus says this all the time, is you have the religious leaders coming to Jesus and, and they're like, you know, we're, we're children of Abraham. We're okay with God. And Jesus says, listen, just because you're Jewish doesn't make you right with God. It's a matter of a heart. Romans talks about that. A true Jewish person in the New Testament time is a person who follows Jesus Christ, who understands that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, in the Old Testament, you had this, this what's called this remnant. You had the nation of Israel as a whole, but there was only this small remnant of people that actually worshipped and actually followed God the way He intended it, intended it in originally. And so you have the Jewish people who are who are coming against them and 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 Jesus says you know they they are just Jewish in in name only because they're missing that I am that fulfillment of the Old Testament law and then he goes on and says this some more hard words against the Jewish but they are a synagogue of what Satan. of Satan they are actually Jesus says they are actually, because they're attacking you, 
They're actually being instruments of Satan. And then the next section, which is actually what's on our list, is a criticism. But this is not a criticism. That's why it's not really a criticism, but it's a warning to the church in Smyrna. This is what's going to happen and what's going to happen to them. You'll be cast in prison. He says, do not be afraid. Because you are, yes, I understand your suffering. Well, guess what? You're about ready to suffer more. This tribulation that you're dealing with is going to be amped up. And you're going to suffer more for me. And he says, do not be afraid of what about is going to happen to you to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And for how long is that going to happen? Now, there's some debate about that 10 days. Just like everything, there's a debate about everything in the book of Revelation. There's two schools of thought about that. Number one is it's, it's a literal 10 days. That this, this persecution that they're going to face is going to be amped up for a period of 10, uh, of 10 days. But we're in the book of Revelation where there's a lot of symbolism and, and numbers have, are symbolic uh, to a lot, a lot of times. And so this 10 days means much much more of saying no for, for a short amount of time, just kind of uh, symbolically. It's just going to happen in a short amount. Of, it's not going to last forever. It's just going to happen for a short amount of time, this intense persecution where you're going to be thrown in prison. And Rome just didn't throw anybody in prison for any reason. They usually threw people in prison because of one, because you were waiting to... Uh, like Paul, you're wait, you're in prison there waiting for a trial. Or two, you are waiting to be executed. And so they would throw you in prison. And so you think about that, that, that you know, this is going to be this intense persecution that's, that you're going to be thrown in prison and either you're going to be put on trial or you will eventually be executed. And what happens to so many Christians in this point in time? They get executed where? In a coliseum with the wild animals. The gladiators. Have you ever seen that movie, The Gladiator? Uh, I've never seen it, uh, but uh, I've seen previews of it. That's that image of they would literally, their hate, the Romans' hatred to Christians, they were literally put in these innocent people, and the gladiators would just, for game and sport, would just slaughter them as the crowd stood there yelling. And so you have this time where, where Jesus says to them, listen, I understand you're, you're suffering. I understand there's, there's, you're experiencing deep poverty, but you're going to experience even more. And Jesus says, the devil will put some of you in prison to do what? To test you. This will be a test for them. And when we usually think of test, what do we usually think of? A written test. We are in school where you, you get a letter grade of saying like A, B, C, or D, or F. Or I always wondered why uh, we couldn't have E's in there, but uh, I guess uh, <clears throat> I'll never know that one. So, but this type of test is that testing to see their character. When, when, God comes to Abraham and says, take your son Isaac, 
and go sacrifice him. That is a test. To put Abraham to a test. To test to see who he really is trusting in. And that's why that word is used. That test to see you know, that character. What, what is the person really trusting in? When James talks about how when we face various tests or trials, our, our attitude needs to be one of joy. It's the same thing. That God sometimes brings circumstances in our lives to show us you know, who or what are we really trusting in to bring to light that character of ours. And as much more is not so much for God's point of view, but for our point of view to start. That's why, again, you ask that question. When, you, when, did you, when do you grow closer to the Lord? In the good times or in the hard times? In the hard times. Because in those hard times when you realize you, you, got, you got to hang on to God and, 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 that's all you, and He's all you need. In the good times, the nation of Israel was this way. When things were going well, they forgot about God. It was in those tough times when they're in and were in their slavery, especially in the book of like um, the Judges, in their slavery, they cry out to God and say, "We need you to come rescue us." And then God comes and rescues them. But it's that test. And so Jesus says to them, "You know, do not be afraid. This tribulation that you're experiencing is going to get amped up." For a short time, you're going to face prison. It's going to be a test. Satan's going to come and test you to, to determine who you really, what your character is like, who you're really trusting in. And then the next one, which is we call the warning, which is what is Jesus' response to them is what? What does Jesus say? Commands them, this is how I want you to, what I want you to do in response to what's going to happen to you. To be faithful. That's a command. Jesus commands them to be faithful unto death. In other words, don't give up your faith in Me. Keep hanging on to Me. Even when they're threatening you, even when they're throwing you in prison, even if they're taking you to the Colosseum, do not forsake your faith and your trust in me. Don't give up. Be faithful. Keep following me even to the point of death. And what does Jesus promise them when that happens? Crown of life. In the Olympics nowadays, if someone wins, what do they get? The gold medal. Connie, Connie was taking a drink when she was uh, trying to say that. Gold medal. And... The Olympics date way back into the uh, the Greek games uh, and, and so forth, and so they had the Olympics uh, where uh, when the New Testament was being written, and they would have these. Uh, they didn't give them gold medals. Does anybody know what they gave them instead? A laurely, the crown. And in fact, let's. Uh, there's a couple passages of scripture. First Corinthians. Uh, turn with me to First Corinthians chapter nine. Paul says this. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. So Paul takes this image of an athlete here, and uh, right now the if you didn't know the uh, the NFL is into the the playoffs, and in a few weeks uh, we will have <coughs> the Super Bowl and. Um, Super Bowl champion 
and they will at the end of the game they will raise that um, I guess it's the Lombardi, I don't know Lombardi, Lombardi trophy. You can tell my NFL football uh, knowledge is lacking a little bit. So um, at least I know what teams. The only reason why I know what teams are in the playoffs is because Titus is like like uh, asking me every day who's who's in the playoffs. So um, he was disappointed that the Eagles lost. Um, so but but uh, so they they will win, and it's interesting nowadays. These professional athletes, how many year, how many days do they train all year long? Every day, every day, every day. Even baseball players. That's my sport is more baseball. Like, um, and so like like spring training's coming up, and that's the start of the season. It used to be this years ago, um, when when the baseball players they didn't pick up their glove or bat until spring training started. Which is why spring training was was a lot longer. Which is why they didn't play games uh, till the end of spring training because they used the spring training to do just that to to train to to get back in the shape of not taking care of themselves uh, during the winter time and so forth. But what happened was because they train every single day in the off season, they would they show up in in supposedly good condition, even though sometimes you do wonder what happened to them. But they show up in good condition. And, and, and they're like, well, why do we need three weeks to, to train our bodies? We're, good, we're ready to go. And so that's why all of a sudden now you have like one week of spring training and then they start games right away because of that. Professional athletes, and that's what Paul is saying here, they, they run this race and, they, and they, they train themselves. And we need to have the same mentality. They do it for things that is this gold medal or the Lombardi trophy or this the major league trophy or, or whatever trophy, and it doesn't really matter. Bill Belichick right now won six uh, Super Bowls, and he's out of a job. He didn't perform this year. He got fired with one year left on his contract. But again, if they do that for these, these trophies that don't last, how much more, as Paul is saying, how much more as believers in Jesus Christ do we need to discipline ourselves to run after that prize, that crown that will last forever? Another passage, James, actually talks about this crown of life. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. Whoever gets there, if you could read that. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. Those who persevere, who make it to the end, Blessed is the one who does that because that person will receive what? The crown of life. And that's the same promise when you get back to the book of Revelation. That's the same promise that God gives to the church in Smyrna. Don't give up. Keep on. Be faithful to the, even to the point of death. Be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you make it to the end, I will give you that crown of life. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And then two more sections. The exhortation, of course, is always verse 11. Whoever has ears, let them, let them hear. Pay attention to what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, every time you see that is just that understanding of, of Jesus saying, you know, pay attention to this. This is important. Understand what 
this this uh, message is to this church and then apply it to your life as well. And then there's that promise at the end where where Jesus says the one who is what? The one who is victorious. The very same same words up in if you jump up to uh, verse 7 of chapter 2. This is at the end of the letter to Ephesus. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, to the one who is victorious, or the one who overcomes, or the one who prevails. In other words, the one who doesn't give up. And then here's the promise to the church in Smyrna. To the one who is victorious, who overcomes, who doesn't, who prevails, who doesn't give up, they will never be hurt by the second death. They will never, ever, 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 ever experience that second death. First death is what? Physical death. Second death is eternal, spiritual death. And death in Scripture means separated. So when you think about this, when, when, when Garden of Eden and God tells Adam, no, uh, don't eat from this tree. The day you eat from this tree, you will surely die. In other words, there's two things going to happen. Number one, you will be dead. You will die spiritually, meaning you will be separated from me spiritually. And then, as during the curses, Jesus, uh, God tells Adam that that you will start to die physically, and you will return to dust, and you will be separated from this physical world. That's what happens when a person dies physically nowadays. They become separated from this physical world. Their, their spirit still is there, either in heaven or in the place of torment, but they are separated from this spiritual, from this physical world. And what happens at the book of, at the end of the book of Revelation is you have this second death, this eternal separation from whom? From God. And those will, who will experience that second death will be thrown into the lake of fire, which we call hell. And this is the promise. And when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, the ones who do not experience that second death are the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will experience the new heavens and the new earth where they will be and dwell with God forever in a new physical heavens and world, new earth where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more diseases, no more curse. And the promise here that God, that Jesus gives to the church in Smyrna is the one who prevails, the one who makes it to the end will not experience or be hurt by that second death. They will dwell with God forever. And so this letter to the Smyrna, the message is this. Jesus says, listen, I understand what you're going through. I understand your suffering. I understand you're poor because of me. I understand these Jewish people are slandering you and that's making your life miserable. And, they, and, and you're going to experience more pain and suffering now than ever before. But be faithful. Make it to the end. Don't give up. Because the reward far outweighs the pain and suffering you're going to experience. Even now, there's this you know, suffering for Jesus is not a bad thing that we should avoid. In America, we have this understanding that if 
if something in our body hurts or aches, something must be wrong. The co-op that we're in, the Homesville co-op, about a week and a half ago, we went bowling. And I haven't bowled for a long time. And um, I don't know why, but none of the light balls fit my hand. So I had to get this like 16 pounder bowling ball. And at first I was like, wow, this is this will be great. I can get to like, just as long as I whip it down there, it's gonna knock all the pins down. All of a sudden, the next day, guess what? My elbow, it hurts. And it still hurts a week and a half later. I guess I'm just a sign that I, my body's falling apart now. So, but, and, and it's so tempting to, to do that, to be like, man, it hurts. Let me pull out the uh, medicine and, and, and Tylenol. And I'm not saying, no, not saying medicine is bad because it's, it is. It's not bad. No, so I'm not saying medicine is bad. It, it is helpful. But our mentality in America is, if I experience pain and suffering, something must be wrong. Where according to the Bible, especially if we're experiencing suffering for Jesus, we shouldn't avoid it. Instead, we should count it as a privilege. And again, we don't think about this this way. If we suffer for Jesus, in a real sense, we should say, yes! Not because we're excited about the pain and suffering we're going through, but because we're saying, yes, they saw Jesus in me. They saw Jesus in me. And maybe part of us is saying, yes, my reward in heaven is going to be even greater now, according to what Jesus said. And that's the message that the early church had. And that's the message that Jesus has to this church in Smyrna. Listen, I understand your suffering. I understand you're going through persecution. And it's going to get worse. But don't give up. The same message that we need to have be hearing is if we're going especially as our culture becomes more and more anti-god anti-jesus we will face maybe not be thrown in prison but we will face ridicule persecution maybe not again not like china's facing or believes in china but we will face that and it we have to understand it's a privilege it's a not a whoa i shouldn't speak up is a privilege when people see Jesus in us and they ridicule and they persecute us. Again, it's a totally different mindset that Jesus calls us to.